Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mark Thompson. Get woke. God bless you. Get woke. Folks, MIP is now COVID free, meaning free to all subscribers as we navigate this pandemic. We're thinking about everyone and we've got to get through this together. So for a limited time, no fee to subscribe to make it plain on your favorite podcast app. Ladies and gentlemen, just to, to, to start things off this morning on the show, um, I want to say something about the death of Ahmed Arbery. Um, it, it is very disturbing to see that, but as many of you have seen the video, but I want to say this. Showing me the HBO documentary, Atlanta's Missing and Murdered Children, and I hope some of you have seen that. If you haven't, I hope you will. But showing me that, and then revealing the case of Ahmed Arbery to me, makes everything in that documentary, which was everything that we suspected that was going on in Atlanta in 1981, true. Because the Ahmed Arbery case is a case where white men killed a young African-American man and just got away with it. It was just swept under the rug. And the allegations in the documentary, the, the Missing and Murdered Children documentary, as well as the belief at the time in Atlanta, and even up to today, was that Wayne Williams was not the only one, that he, in fact, may, may have been a scapegoat. And there was evidence that there were white supremacists involved in the deaths of all of our black children in Atlanta. And so that makes that very possible. 
So Ahmed Aubrey could have been one of those young people in 1981. And we never would have known. We probably would have been told Wayne Williams did it. So that is fresh in mind when I look at this case and I look at this tragedy. And once again, our over-acquaintance with death in America as, as African-Americans, our over-acquaintance with death. When James Baldwin wrote about the Atlanta child murders for Playboy magazine and then in his book entitled The Evidence of Things Not Seen, you know, he talked about not so much the terror of death because death was unimaginable, but the terror of being destroyed. And he said back then in 1981 that our lives didn't matter. And so what is the difference, really, between Ahmed Arbery and those children killed in Atlanta in 1981? Anyway, on to my guest. Folks, it's been a few, but glad to have him back. For Thursday Coast, he is the founder, publisher uh, of the largest online progressive community, of course. So we've been doing this together for a number of years, Thursday Coast. From dailycoast.com, Marcos Melitsis. Hey, man, how are you? And first of all, how's the family doing? How are you all faring in the Bay Area these days? Uh, we're all still buttoned down. Everybody's doing great. My uh, my kids are <laughs> starting to teeth a little bit, but... Uh, it's it's all it's all manageable and this is the first time i've joined you on in on video actually i think it is yeah very first time on video brave new world, it is very brave new world and and i love the i love the orange the daily coast colored background yeah not on purpose well it is on purpose in that orange is a daily coast color because it's my favorite color so there's a lot of orange <laughs> around my house and so i happen to have an orange wall uh and it worked out nicely yeah, that's that's great. That's great. So, man, so much to talk about. Um, first of all, uh, uh, what's civics saying? Civics with a Q, by the way, folks, about uh, the coronavirus and, and Trump's base, uh, his eroding support. What's the latest there? So civics, civics with a Q is, is our polling data uh, project, and uh, it allows us to track public attitudes on a daily basis in all 50 states. So this is a really cool thing. It's a panel, there's about one and a half million people on this panel, so it allows us to do scientific polling. Uh, what we're finding is that there used to be a massive partisan gap between those who took coronavirus seriously and those who did not. So of course, Democrats and most independents thought, yeah, this thing's deadly, let's let's take care of ourselves. And Republicans were listening to Rush Limbaugh and Tucker Carlson and Fox News, and they thought it was all a big hoax. And Donald, Donald Trump, right? Mm -hmm. um, after Donald Trump admitted that, yeah, okay, a lot of people are gonna die, and uh, if we keep deaths down to 60,000, I will have done a really good job. At that point, Republican concern did go up. And while it never matched the numbers we saw with independents and Democrats, at least a majority of Republicans thought that they needed to take the coronavirus seriously. So progress, that's all gone. It's all gone. It's, it's Trump now is talking about opening things up and then you have Governor Kemp in, in Georgia and other states 
they're opening things up. We had these stupid protests. Uh, so basically, we're back to where we began, where, where uh, Democrats and independents think that this is serious. And Republicans suddenly, once again, think that this is all what, a, a big scheme to try to defeat Donald Trump at the ballot box, or maybe it was a, a concocted in a Chinese lab, or maybe it doesn't even exist. James O'Keefe, uh, what was it, yesterday was talking about how it's all a big hoax, and these are all crisis actors. So we're back to where we began. And I gotta say, if, if the coronavirus just circulated amongst that crowd, I think I'd be okay with it at this point. Like I'm done, I'm done caring about those people. They're, they're, if you're gonna be that stupid, but it doesn't, right? It sees no boundaries. It doesn't care about ideology. It doesn't look at, at state borders. Um, so these people aren't just putting themselves at risk, which I can almost deal with. They're putting first responders at risk. They're putting medical personnel at risk and they're putting their neighbors who may be actually doing the right thing at risk. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Democrats and independents though, seem to be pretty clear and consistent. Yes. Those, those, those numbers ought to be enough to carry us in November, right? I mean, are we still talking about Trump having, what, 30, somewhere between 35 and 40% of Americans? Yes, yeah, so th that's concern about the coronavirus. Now, if you look at satisfaction with okay. the government's response, to the different questions, sorry, um, Trump is, is, is definitely falling. Uh, Republicans think he's doing a great job, of course, you know, we expect that, but in Democrats, <laughs> and he never gave them the benefit of the doubt, right? That's always been at 95% disapproval. But what we've seen is that independents are definitely starting to sour on Trump. So their numbers are going down. Uh -huh. And conversely, in almost every state, except Georgia, notably, uh, people are happy with their local response. And it doesn't matter if the governor is Democratic or Republican. So you have a Republican governor in Massachusetts and a Republican governor in Maryland, which are very, very blue states. People are overwhelmingly favorable towards those governors. And then you look in Kentucky and Louisiana, they have Democratic uh, governors in, you know, in the red states. Again, people are overwhelmingly supportive of those governors. So it's, it's only Trump, and this is, so it, it means something, right? So it's not people are anti-government or the government sucks, is they're realizing that Trump abandoned them to the states. They're happy with their state performance, except in Georgia and Florida is 50-50. Is um, but every, everywhere else where governors have actually taken this seriously, people are actually really appreciative of that. So um, the erosion in Trump's numbers, and it's slight, like, uh, numbers don't change very much right people are they spent three years defending trump they're not going to go like you were right liberals <laughs> he is there's a slight erosion but it's real amongst 65 and older americans and that's really 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 um notable because it is the most reliable voting demographic and that is essentially the core republican base and and we're talking a slippage of uh, we we had uh, we had Trump winning sixty five and under and over by about thirteen points at one point. It's down to five points. Wow! So it is a real, real 
uh, erosion. And we're seeing it nationwide. We're seeing it in the battleground states. And if you look at, at the battleground states, and I, every time we talk, I'll talk about them, right? Because they're important. The states that will decide the presidential election are Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Seven states. Doesn't mean other states don't matter because there's governor races and Senate races. But if we win Iowa, we already won those other seven states. And if Trump wins Minnesota, he has already won those other seven states, right? So those are the seven states, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Right now, Joe Biden is leading in six of those seven, and he is only losing Georgia by two points, according to our numbers. In fact, we just released a poll of North Carolina on Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. That didn't just have Biden winning North Carolina 49-46, looking really good to, to uh, win the state. 49-46 is basically what Obama got in 2008 in North Carolina. But in the Senate race, we're winning 50 to 41. That's a Republican uh, seat that we would pick up. So Democrats are looking really, really solid. And a big piece of that puzzle is the response to the coronavirus. And right now we're at 72,000. Uh, or as of yesterday, we were, what, 73,000 and change. Um, obviously, that number's going up by about 2,000 a day. So we're already higher than that. And now we're talking about, you know, by August 1st, we should be in the low 100,000s. That is absolutely insane. So this approval with Trump is already rising. They, the Republicans have signaled that they don't care about vulnerable white people for the first time. They've always signaled they don't care about vulnerable black people and Latinos and Asians. They don't care, right? Native Americans. Suddenly they're saying we don't care about vulnerable white people. And that is going to have an effect. We're starting to see that with those, with those white seniors starting to move in the Democrats' direction. And I haven't seen anything that suggests that Republicans are realizing they're in trouble and that, that maybe they should stop talking about sacrificing our old people for the stock market. Um, last demographic I want to ask, but what, what, let, let me do two things. Since you did mention um, the states, uh, the battleground states, we know that some of us in the African-American base are disproportionately dying in these states, Marcos. Yes. So one of the things that concerns me is where in 2016, it was less than a margin of 100,000 votes that affected three states. You got black folk dying disproportionately, especially in Wisconsin, Michigan. We don't know all the numbers elsewhere, but we can probably hypothesize it's pretty bad everywhere. I mean, it, that makes me a little nervous when it comes to those numbers in November. The more of us who die, and that's just African-Americans, not to mention, we, we nobody's keeping track of how many, you know, uh, non-Trump voters overall are dying. But, I mean, this could, and, and part of that in, suggests to me, that's why he doesn't give a damn either. Because he's kind of hoping all these deaths, you know, some of the people are going to die who voted for him, but some of the people who are going to vote against him die too. So that's probably why he doesn't care. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a very crass political <laughs> question with numbers, and I don't really want us to lose the humanity of it all. Um, it is true that Blacks and now we're starting to find Latinos in some of these meatpacking plants and uh, poultry plants, right? 
are disproportionately affected. Absolutely. Run numbers, more white people are dying. Uh, as a percentage of the population, I mean, we're talking if, if, if uh, what did I see in, in, in uh, I think it was Indiana, where the, you know, the black population of Indiana is like 18% or 15%, and it was like 25% of deaths were black. So yeah, disproportionately, it's being, it's affecting us. And you're right, this is why Trump doesn't care. He's decided like, we're good, we're moving on. Right. Um, more white people are dying if, if we were going to play that, that horrible game. But more than that, I think uh, maybe I'll say more importantly, but it's what's happening is that those numbers are shifting. So in Wisconsin, as of three weeks ago, it was something like 20% of the counties most affected were Trump counties. So it's 80, 20, because it was, it was Milwaukee. It was, it was Dane County, right? It was, it was where you expected where, where black people live. Uh, and again, in some places where you had some of these poultry meatpacking plants where a lot of Latinos are also being affected. So um, as of a couple of days ago, Wisconsin's now 50-50. So red counties and blue counties. So it's shifting because you're seeing, you're seeing that in New York, right? You had at one point, you had almost 900 people dying a day. Now we're down to the low 200s, right? Blue states and Democrats and liberals realize how dangerous this is and are taking it seriously. Now you have these dumbass Trump supporters doing their stupid rallies without masks, no social distancing, that uh, they converge on state capitals, they do their little stupid rally, and then they go back to their counties carrying this freaking virus. And what that's happening is that that virus is now spreading in red counties at much greater percentages than in red counties. And we have a lot of months between now and, uh, and November. So what's going to be happening, and what is happening, we're seeing this right now, is that the fastest growth in COVID cases is in red counties. Now, I do want to caution that a lot of those red counties have prisons and prisons are being disproportionately affected. A lot of those red counties have poultry plants and meatpacking plants. So that's a lot of Latinos are being affected as well. But um, they are started because they're not taking this seriously, because they think it's some kind of anti-Trump hoax, because they think this is a New York City problem and a New Orleans problem and a California problem, uh, they're not taking this as seriously. And what that means is that um, we have, and there's always you know, several weeks lag, right? But you're gonna see more and more of these states starting to get hit um, in the weeks ahead. I mean, counties, these red counties going to get hit. So from a, from a calculus, it's an ugly, it's an ugly calculus. But I, I think even if we see, I, I mean, I, I can't even, I predicted this one. I, I thought 100,000 was the worst case scenario back when we started talking about this in, in February. We yeah. were talking about it early. I thought 100,000 was like crazy uh, possibility. We're going to blow by 100,000 in right. weeks probably. So um, this is going to be like nothing. And, um, but the raw numbers aren't enough to really be shifting elections, probably. Okay. I mean, maybe in a Florida. It's less about people dropping dead, and it's more about people's families going like, they grandma need to die. Mm. Or did my, did my 37-year-old otherwise healthy son need to die? 
or did my neighbor need to die or did my hairdresser need to die or did it's it's that sense of of uh, i mean 9-11 what killed 3,000 yet it affected an entire country right because there's that emotional connection to people right. and this is what i think is politically damaging and it's 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 the messaging it's it's people wearing around signs this is you know, sign that was floating around in a Tennessee uh, pro-COVID rally. I mean, there are pro-COVID rallies at this point, right? So it's a Tennessee pro-COVID rally that said sacrifice the weak, open up Tennessee. And it is that message that seniors don't matter and why don't you die and get out of the way because my stock portfolio is taking a hit. That is going to have more of an effect in the election. If we're already starting to see those numbers erode, and again, we're talking five points among seniors, right? But if we're starting to see that now at 70,000 bed, what's gonna be, what's gonna happen when in the fall, we may be at 250,000 bed, yeah. right? Because we got a second wave coming. It's, it's going to happen. And, uh, and for, for viewers and listeners who, who don't know, the, the, th the problem with the second wave isn't COVID itself, it's that you have the flu, which already kills 30, 40,000 people a year, on top of COVID, and you're not going to have hospital beds because that is the biggest factor in in a survival rate. So unless a vaccine comes, and it ain't going to come by November, if it arrives by some miracle, the first people that are going to get that that vaccine are going to be first responders and medical personnel. The ability to get that into the general population is going to it's going to take a while. Um, you may have better treatments, but you still need hospital beds. Yeah. So you're going to have the flu, you're going to have COVID on top of that, and you're going to have people that are so frustrated that haven't been locked up for so long that they're going to really stop, start slipping on the social distancing thing. And I, Mark, I feel it with my kids, like, why don't I do a play date? And the kids can stay 10 feet apart and that's okay, right? And I want to do it because they're so desperate for social interaction with their friends. And it's like, I had to fight it. And we're only like, what, seven weeks in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's what happened in October? Yeah. Well, let me just let you inform you, though. You said we're not going to have a vaccine by November. My NFL devotees, those whom I know, swear that there is going to be, there has to be a vaccine by the time NFL season starts. So I'm using these people. No, Mark, there's going to be a vaccine. I said, how do you know? Trust me. It's got to be. We, we can't have an NFL without him. It's just going to have to be. So, yeah, I, I kind of laugh at those folks. Okay, so. One uh, you know what, though? I feel them. I, I miss yeah. sports so <laughs> desperately right now. You know what I'm doing, man? You got to get it. Well, see, it's true. It's really early for you. Four or five o'clock in the morning, maybe earlier. On the East Coast, we get Korean baseball now. On <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The, yeah, the Korean baseball league just started this week. No fans. No fans in the stands, but you get full baseball games. So you should check your DVR, whatever, or you can probably get it when you get on the app now. But you can get Korean baseball games. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, and, and the other thing is there, the bat flip over there is considered a sacred form of art. It's not considered as disrespect. You're uh -huh. supposed to flip the bat when you hit a home run. Oh. And it's an art form. They've done articles about it. Who has the most artistic bat flip? So that's, no, that's, that's a whole... It's like a touchdown dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, But last demographic, though. 53% of white women, where are white women on Trump now? So white women are, uh, are uh, 
I mean, they're definitely eroding. That's, that's always been, from, from the first moment we started talking about Trump being president, white women have always been the only swing demographic. Now we're seeing old white people. So, you know, yeah. let's see if that holds. And I think it'll hold. But, but white women, suburban white women are totally done. And we don't even need to look at polling to see the value of suburban. And it's suburban educated white women, right? It's college educated. It's, it's, it's education style become one of the biggest predictors of partisan affiliation sex uh, and religion and education will pretty much tell you, and race obviously, will tell you how somebody's gonna vote like 95% of the time. It's almost comical. Uh, we just saw that in, in Wisconsin um, a few weeks ago where we won a state Supreme Court race right. by, um, not even close, it was over 10 points. And it was because the, the Milwaukee suburbs have switched. And it's really funny because before that election, I was looking at those Milwaukee suburbs and they look red, 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 right? It's like, is Wisconsin the only state in the country where suburban white women aren't switching to the Democrats? And those suburbs were so red, 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 but they used to be so red mm -hmm. that you almost don't see it, right? I mean, it was still a 15 point shift. But in Wisconsin, that 15-point shift in the suburbs was enough to, to blow out the Republican. And, and I know this is not your question, but I just want, I got to talk about this because this is effing amazing, <laughs> is that Milwaukee and Kenosha have now agreed to mail ballots automatically to all registered voters in those cities, Good. Uh, counties, counties, counties. And, uh, and we're seeing this in a lot of blue states. And this is where winning the governor's race was so critically important because the state legislature in Wisconsin tried, to, uh, not tried, they successfully blocked doing this statewide. Yeah. But they can't block counties from doing it because we have the governorship, we have the secretary of state office. So now we have all the blue counties starting to, to decide to mail these ballots. And I got to say, I, I don't want to jinx everything, uh, and it's going to be a dogfight, but it's really hard for me to see how we lose Wisconsin if we get our people to vote when they cannot suppress the black vote in Milwaukee. That's yeah. how they won in 2016. They did it in Detroit in 2016 as well. So I'm hoping, and, and I don't know, laws are different in every state, so I don't know if... if if blue counties in Michigan can do the same thing. But Wisconsin, the ability to automatically mail ballots to, to those blue counties, that means the red counties are going to have to follow suit, right? So in the end, the whole state's gonna be automatic vote by mail. That's great. It should be that way all around the country. Yeah. Yeah. And we're seeing that in Florida as well. Several of the, of the blue counties in Florida have already uh, announce that they will that they will be doing no they're not going to be doing ballots they're going to be doing mail ballot applications it's a little different but still sending people notice that they can vote by mail it's, it's absolutely huge and republicans win by suppressing the black vote by suppressing the latino vote by suppressing the student vote and it's going to be very very hard for them to do so so these are all things that are happening these are all um good things and with that shift in voting patterns with suburban white women, for sure, that's that's a big one. And I think that one will deliver the Senate for us. Yeah. If you make it easier for everybody else to vote, there's no reason that black voters should have to wait six hours to vote. You mail them a ballot and make it easy. Uh, you, you tie that it was sold to the polls, but you don't actually have to walk to the polls. You can fill it out right there in church, right? I mean, yeah. uh, it 
shifts the balance of power dramatically. It makes us a more democratic, small d country. Everybody can vote. And if everybody can vote, Republicans don't have much of a chance. Yeah. Well, so let me stay with women. Tara Reid. What, what does, it, is, is that, is that going to be a big problem? Is, is that story a big problem? Has Joe Biden answered it? Now, remember, you moved me on Al Franken. And when, when, when you took that position and I took it with you, you know, everybody didn't agree with us, including a lot of women. There's a lot of folks still mad about that. Um, do we apply the same rule to Joe Biden or no? Well, the, the rule, I mean, so here, here's, obviously this is, this is unfortunate. It's one reason I say we shouldn't be nominating men anymore. <laughs> Just period, <laughs> okay. right? I mean, yeah. uh, and Biden's not my guy. I have zero interest in, in defending Joe Biden himself. Uh, we know he's very handsy. We've seen that. It's, it's, it's who he is. I have no doubt that he touched her because he touches everybody. Um, the difference is that, that Al Franken admitted to the behavior and it was on film, right? I mean, there, it was, it was, the evidence was, was there. I believe very strongly that every woman should be listened, should be heard right. and be taken seriously. And I actually believe that that has happened. People have taken her, her concerns seriously. They've investigated them. Um, the fact is that much of that story doesn't, hasn't held up yet. What we, what has been public, the, you know, how she talked about, I, you know, I, I filed the complaint on sexual harassment and then Biden said, all right, let's look at the complaint. And she said, well, maybe it didn't mention sexual harassment. Those are the things that, that make it um, tougher. There's no pattern for sure. With Frank and you know several dozen women, at least a dozen women came forward and said, "Yeah, this this, is, this stuff has happened. Definitely happened with Kavanaugh. We haven't seen that happen with Joe Biden." Um, I gotta say, from a from a personal level, I can I can sit here and talk about those Democrats that have a reputation for being rapey, and mm -hmm. Joe Biden has never been one of those people. Now, I don't mean that in any definitive way. I just say that the rumor mill is strong in Washington, D.C., and, and there are people who have a reputation, and Joe Biden wasn't one of them. His reputation is he touches too much, and yeah. it's a little creepy. And we, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to gloss over his, his giving women back rubs crap. I mean, I think he's um, very inappropriate in his touching. Does that extend to digital rape? Nobody ever has alleged that. It, right. And... Um, so to me right now, the preponderance of the evidence is that, yeah, he probably touched her, but did he digitally rape her? Um, it's hard to see that, particularly since her story has changed significantly. So yeah. I'm not making a declarative decision mm -hmm. on this. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not, I, I'm not an investigator. I haven't dug into it. I'm just kind of been on a wait and see. Like, let's see yeah. if anybody else comes forth. Let's see if this is corroborated by anybody else. Um, let's see if that Senate record, I know the Senate, the Senate parliamentarian or whoever it was said that they couldn't release those employment records, which I find kind of odd. I don't know if she can request that they be released because it's her records, but um, I'd love to see those. Mm -hmm. 
Definitely. Since she made that such a big part of, of her story, it was that she had she had made these allegations in this in this report. Now, of course, she walked it back once. Um, but there's there's too many inconsistencies, and that clear evidence isn't there. And, and to me, that clear evidence is and corroboration. If you have ten women come forth and say, "Yeah, he stuck his fingers down my panties," right, 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 right. I'll be like, <laughs> okay. But but try try this on Marcos and tell me what you think of this. In, in, in terms of consistency on what, and you're right, there, there's some mitigating factors in compared to other cases. But to me, it's becoming like a sentencing disparity for Democrats, okay? So that when there's a Me Too allegation against a Democrat, uh, it is almost um, um, universally expected, even from some of us, that that person has to go away or withdraw, whatever it is. Whereas for Republicans, is business as usual. And and see, to me, and that just takes me back to Franken, that doesn't excuse the behavior. You know, but it's like crack and powder cocaine. Neither one of them is good. But why should one person go to prison for a longer term, get a harsher sentence for what is basically the same drug? And so when it comes to politics, you know, I think we have to think about that. And so now you look at you, and it, I think this is a perfect scenario to have this debate. Because you got, I, I, and I like the way you distinguish it. I think that's a, an, an interesting way to put it. Maybe it's more appropriate for a woman to put it this way than for us. But Hansy versus Rapey. You've not heard Rapey. You've, you've witnessed Hansy. Everybody's seen that. I don't oh, think there's been a no. But yeah. no, there's not even been a rumor or a scintilla of a rumor. And as much as the Obama folk vetted folk, they vetted me and you, and we weren't even going to be in the administration. They vetted everybody they went in the room with, you know, before he even met her. They knew who we were. Um, they would have found that man. I mean, if if Joe Biden had that kind of history, oh God, there's no way in the world. I have no doubt that they didn't go over there with a fine tooth comb. But but I think that um, there's this this double standard, this sentencing disparity. So you're gonna say, well, we're gonna throw out the the, the alleged handsy guy, um, and we're gonna keep the serial sexual assaulter in office. And I think that's something that the, the move, and I consider myself, a, if, not a, if not a fully involved, but a supporter of the Me Too movement, I like to think I'm fully involved. We, the movement has to have that conversation. What do you do in a situation like this? When, because even in the court of law, you know, there are, there are degrees of crimes that are committed. So you got somebody on the level of a Weinstein or a Cosby in the White House, and then you've got one allegation uncorroborated against Joe Biden, you know, I, I, I think we got to have a conversation about that at some point. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason for that disparity, though, and that's that our base is women and their base is not. So they're a bunch, their base is rapey white men. <laughs> so, so they, um, and we're not. I mean, if, if, if Sully Democratic women said, you know what, we're not comfortable with Joe Biden, I'm I'd be 100% with them. Right. I mean, it's it's um, to me, it is critically important, just like I'm the same way with 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 our black base and our Latino base. Right. If somebody is that problematic, yeah, that it, it, that it's a problem for them to they may vote for that person because Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But if, if they're if it's hurting them to do so. I actually take that into consideration, right? That's important to me because we are a coalition and I hope that they have my back when certain issues come up. Sure, that, sure, that. sure, sure. So, 
I mean, that's but, but, I mean, but, but I don't see women in this conflicted in our base. I think what you be honest, that women are conflicted and, and women are being called in that way. Wait a minute now, if this was somebody else, you would have zero tolerance. Why not for Joe Biden? That's why I'm saying I, I think even women, the movement, you, you kind of have to, to establish some type of template. And I would throw into that conversation, all I'm saying, throw into that template in that debate for women, because I agree with you, whatever they decide is where we got to go. Um, is there not a sentencing disparity? And see, we're victims of our own morality. So because our base is so broad, we have the moral high road. That's how you won the argument about Franken. Let's take the moral high road, y'all. Let's just not even deal with this. Yeah. So, but man, we keep taking the moral high road on, on, on just an, an ounce of evidence or less. Again, we're wiped out. And super rapey, the rapey superheroes, are in the White House, the governor's mansion, and everything else. That's the only thing I'm raising. Well, you know, it, it, it's, it's obviously tough. I remember when we were talking about Mayor Bloomberg when he had his little moment, right? And he said, I, I can't. I, if he's nominated, I can't vote for Right, right, right. We all have our, that line where yeah. somebody is so offensive to our core values that we just can't cross it. Yeah. And clearly for Biden being handsy has, isn't one of those cross the line things. If he went around sticking his fingers up people's pants, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that might be that line. <laughs> so, and do we really want that person in the White House? And and when there's alternate alternatives, it's not like he, it's him or the highway at this point. The party could coalesce around a consensus. You know, we had the delegates still being allocated. They could come together. It would be very small d democratic, but you know, in, in a in an emergency, particularly in a, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, uh, we may have to adjust. Um, luckily, we haven't gotten to that point yet. I don't, people aren't being fully, fully tested. And, and I don't think Reed is, um, her story hasn't been rock solid, which, which sort of mitigates a lot of, a lot of the, the moral qualms that you're talking about, right? I mean, if, she was corroborated and it was just one case, but it was her and it was confirmed that she did that. This would be a much more difficult conversation, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be, it would be. So last point, again, speaking of women, he's pledged to pick a woman. I think we all expect him to pick a woman. It's just a question of which one. You, of course, have been strongly advocating for Elizabeth Warren. And Stacey Abrams. Uh, and Stacey Abrams. So what do you think he's gonna do? <laughs> First of all, let's start with oh, Stacey. one, right? <laughs> let's start with Stacey. Do you agree with the criticism of her allegedly campaigning for it? I'm not, I'm not convinced that's what she's been doing. Per she, se, but. I think she has. I definitely <laughs> heard from inside the Biden camp that people are annoyed at it. Mm. I don't know why. I don't see the problem with it. 2020. And, and who who... who cares that she's that she's saying yeah i'd be a great vp i'm, I'm not sh I, I don't understand the 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 sort of visceral negative reaction because it never uh, happened oh you're supposed to be coy and just oh no <laughs> no i don't know anything about it nobody's called me i've never heard of the job i mean it's 2020 though i mean who does that anymore this is it's like it's kind of antiquated right yeah. she is i think the safest choice which is which is which is right. um, because she sort of speaks to people who want a black woman on the ticket, 
Yeah. And she doesn't offend the left. Now, a lot of the left doesn't know her, so they'd have to get to, they'd have to get to know her better. But those who know her aren't, aren't offended by her. The way that Harris, Kamala Harris, is, is offensive to certain segments of the left, uh, and definitely an Amy Klobuchar um, might be. So I, I think Abrams, and the knock on her really is experience, and I don't care to be utterly frank. I think she has enough experience. She's confident, clearly. Yeah. She's an incredibly competent woman. And to me, the VP's number one job, and maybe the only job that matters is get the ticket elected. This yeah. is where Hillary Clinton failed with Tim Kaine. He brought nothing electorally to the ticket. So I think Stacey Abrams absolutely brings something to the ticket electorally. Um, I also think Elizabeth Warren does. And in fact, I think they're the only two uh, candidates that we're talking about that really do that. Um, Elizabeth Warren automatically brings most of the left, the Bernie left, into the ticket. We have a unified party heading into election season, which uh, Hillary Clinton did not have. Uh, the uh, Our Revolution, which was that offshoot from the Bernie campaign in 2016, they polled their members and 61%, I believe, this was back in Tuesday or Monday, 61% uh, picked Elizabeth Warren and about 20% picked uh, Stacey Abrams, which again, sort of bolsters my theory that they're the two that that best unify the party. And the thing that I've been reading tea leaves and the tea leaves are actually pretty strongly pointing to Warren right now. You have Barack Obama praising her coronavirus plan when he hasn't praised any other candidates, not even Joe Biden's <laughs> plan. Wasn't that something? So have, huh? Wasn't that something? I mean, yes, yes, yeah. you're vice president. I'm like, dude, you skipped right over me and went to yes. Warren. <laughs> I'd be, I'd be a little concerned about that. What is he saying, really? Okay, go ahead. I'm right. <laughs> so, so you have Obama, you have, uh, you have um, Clyburn saying, you know, going from it has to be a black woman to like, it would be nice for it to be a black woman. That was an important shift because I don't think Biden does anything without Clyburn's approval. Uh, he better not anyway. He better not because he owes where he's at to, um, to Clyburn. Um, there was a joint op-ed earlier this week uh, where Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren collectively wrote an, uh, an opinion piece uh, attacking Donald Trump's coronavirus response. Um, you, have, uh, you have multiple polls now coming out saying that the vast majority of Democrats want Elizabeth Warren as the VP, and there's no drop-off amongst Black Democrats. That was, that was a very interesting. Um, there was a CBS poll that came out earlier this week that said 71% of Democrats won Biden to consider Elizabeth Warren, and that number was 72% with Black Democrats. And then when they asked him, which one do you think you should pick was your top choice, uh, it was like 36% for Elizabeth Warren, and then um, Kamala Harris was in second with like 22, 23%. So Warren is sort of the consensus pick amongst the party base. Um, clearly, Biden has been, has been um, very friendly towards Warren in recent weeks. And then the last piece, uh, which is very inside baseball, but the person that is in charge of Joe Biden's transition team is a guy named Ted Kaufman. Ted Kaufman used to be his chief of staff when Joe Biden was in the Senate. When Joe Biden was promoted to vice president, Ted Kaufman was appointed to that Senate seat for two years. So he, he was a caretaker senator. Right. In those two years, he introduced a bunch of legislation 
targeting Wall Street. He's a very anti-Wall Street, very populist uh, Democrat. His politics are 100% aligned with Elizabeth Warren. And this is the guy that's in charge. Of, he's, he's clearly Joe Biden's biggest confidant. He's in charge of, of shaping that administration. And so having that voice in, in Biden's ear sort of, I think, is probably significant. And in fact, in 2016, uh, Joe Biden at one point was considering mounting a primary challenge to, to Hillary Clinton. And in those conversations, Doug Kaufman talked to Politico and said that, yeah, we were talking about coming out of the gate with Elizabeth Warren as our VP choice. So back in 2016, Biden was talking about having Warren be his VP if he ran. So there's a lot of tea leaves. And of course, when you're reading tea leaves, you're reading tea leaves. <laughs> so uh, none of this is definitive, but it does speak to very strong hints that she is at least being strongly considered. There, there are two or three other candidates. I'm going to throw a few names out there for you and just get quick reactions because there's some other buzz we're hearing around other people that would be, to use your baseball analogy, kind of out of left field, but maybe not so bad, shake things up a little, surprise um, uh, or, or not. Catherine Cortez Masto. Um, I mean, I, I love her. She she brings really nothing electorally. Just from a again to me, okay. the number one job of a VP is to win the ticket. The states that are competitive, the seven states, only one, uh, two, um, have significant Latino populations, and that's Arizona and Florida. And Florida's Latino population is Puerto Rican and Cuban. Masto is Mexican. It's not. That people don't realize it's not a monolithic. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Definitely. not. So she would help in, in Arizona for sure. There's six other states that matter. Those six other states have significant black populations. So right. if you're going to pick somebody of color, pick those or unify the party. She doesn't unify the party. Uh, Florida, Val Demings. She would be great. The the jump from the House to VP is... is, is um, it's a big jump. She's not very well known, so you'd have to spend several months um, introducing her to the Democratic electorate. So she doesn't unify the party immediately the way Warren does and the way that Stacey Abrams does half of the way through, right? I mean, yeah. uh, there's still some introduction there, but, uh, but I'd be thrilled. Uh, last one to throw out, let's stay and go back to Georgia. Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. Her name has also come up. The mayor. Yeah, um, like it's a it's a name idea. It's to the yeah. point where like I like the idea of her. I actually yeah. don't. I don't even know enough about her. Right. To to, um, and I'm sure she'd be great. Um, everything I've seen superficially would be great. To me, again, the number one. And I love a black woman, particularly Georgia, because I consider Georgia to be incredibly, incredibly uh, important. Important. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I'm not saying no, not her. She doesn't unify the party as quickly and as efficiently as Warren and Stacey Abrams. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, we've cut a lot of ground. Uh, caught up, and we'll con we'll continue them. Folks, we'll be back on schedule two with Marcos every week. Uh, join us here on Thursdays on Make It Plain the podcast. Um, Marcos is also. You're doing a YouTube weekly show too, right? We, yeah, we started last week, and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> it's it's a good time to experiment, try new things. Uh, but I, I think I like it. I think I'm gonna. I, this is if you want to try on anything. This is the time to do it. I mean, in this yes. 
in this. So, if, if, folks, whatever y'all want to try, this I'm is not traveling cool. anywhere. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, so, no, looks good. I, I saw you had David on. David's great. David Near. Um, well, okay, man. Y'all continue to stay safe. Thank uh, you. I hope you and the kids continue to hold hold on. Are your kids uh, eating up all the food in the refrigerator, like? like mine does uh no it's the opposite i think their stress reaction is to eat less really yeah and uh to the point where i'm trying to worry a little bit yeah some kids different though boredom makes you eat more yeah i'm I'm an eat less person i I was now that i'm older (laughs) i don't think that's happening anymore (laughs) but when i was younger i was i was a very skinny kid so Yeah. yeah okay yeah but uh, congratulations on New York. You guys are, are mostly doing a good job staying in place and the numbers are coming down. Yeah, and that's a good thing. It, it got bad up here for a minute. I, there was a plan um, some of my loved ones made on my behalf to at one point even evacuate me wow. from New York. Um, but it was so far down in, in the process, so far along in the process. Any place else I went, I would have been going into another jurisdiction's peak. So yeah. then it was like, do you leave a place that might be flattening to go to another peak? So it's, it's just, and there's no, as you pointed out, there's no escaping this thing anyway. Yeah. You know, I mean, if, if there's any place that's come down and, and leveled off a great deal, it's, it's where you are. You know, and I said to people, listen, well, if I'm going to go anywhere, I need to go out there where Marcos is because they, they were the first ones. They've really flattened. It's not, it's not going to be another peak, at least immediately. But we've toughed it out. Uh, we've been fortunate. You know, I'm still, we have yet to see Marcos. Um, and I was talking to a, a, someone else I knew. You, you, you almost have, it, it's been so high in New York, you almost have a level of survivor's guilt. But it makes you curious. Well, why so many other people right around me and next to me? And so, you, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with public transportation. Because a lot of people in New York still rely on public transportation. Uh, and those subways are filthy. And the buses are probably as filthy. Um, and then I think there's also a tendency, as you know, many New Yorkers um, order in food all the time. Um, we've only gone to the grocery store. My son and I have not ordered in food since we've been under lockdown since March 13th. And, and I just have kind of had a paranoia about that because when people are preparing your food and bringing, you in, bringing it, you just don't know. And even down to the containers, so we just go to the grocery store and prepare everything. So that's work for us. So I'm probably going to keep that up for as long as we can. You know, but then you get tired of your own food. You want to do something different. But we're not going to take the risk. So I'm just wondering, you know, what else has been going on in New York to make people so susceptible to it? But so far, we're... It's an international but, transportation hub. People were coming in yeah, for weeks. Yeah. It just spread when nobody knew it existed. Right. And no that's, telling where it was coming, so many places, different places it was coming from. Yeah. You know? that's that's it i, I don't I, I, this is how the middle of the country got lucky they're they're not entry points for uh, other hotspots outside the country and so they could have kept things quiet had they shut down and taken this thing seriously but now it's growing in florida it's growing in texas yeah. it's definitely growing in the nebraska's and iowa's so um it's it's it just happened to get hit um beforehand and and you know the bay area shut down four days before you guys did. And literally that might be the difference. I mean, that's yeah. how ridiculous and fast this thing was growing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
Daily Coast, the largest online progressive community. Check it out. Check out all of Marcos' latest columns and the brief. Look for that on YouTube. What days does do you air on YouTube? Uh, same day. Today, Thursday. On oh, Thursdays. Okay, great. So we'll look for that today as well. Buddy, thank you. Love thank to you the family. And we'll, we'll talk again next week, okay? All right. Have a great one. Thank you. Thursday Coast. Thank you for listening to Make It Plain and Get Woke. Remember to listen, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. If all minds are clear, it has been Made Plain. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.